The Rufus Project would like to advise the following podcast contains spoilers for Josie and the Pussycats from 2001. If you do not wish to have this movie spoiled, please watch it before listening to the following podcast. Is it the mythical lost episode of The Rufus Project? Or is Christian just having deja vu? We watched Josie and the Pussycats from 2001 to see if we could redeem it. Were we successful? Find out after the theme! So bad it's good, what's this movie do you think we should? It's got bad guy love, dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Hello and welcome to the Rufus Project Redeeming Features cast, this time looking at Josie and the Pussycats from 2001. I am Trevor Holland, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host... Christian Fletcher. Thank you, Trevor. It's great to be back on the Redeeming Features podcast. Uh, always, always fun. I look forward to these every fortnight. And as we've said, even if the movies are absolutely terrible, the conversation is a hell of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, we, 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 uh, we're finally getting to Josie and the Pussycats. You know, it makes me wonder sometimes that, you know, it, it almost seems like a movie we should have done earlier. No, it's just something that makes me think that. <laughs> Uh, for those who are probably scratching their heads wondering what Trevor's talking about, there has been a, quite a few podcasts. Now, I didn't realise I'd been doing it this much, but apparently I have been, is uh, making reference to the Phantom Redeeming Features cast where we apparently redeemed Josie and the Pussycats. Now, I don't know if I was... I've now worked out I was thinking of Gem and the Holograms, but I'll get to a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of the comparison a bit later on. But um, And I had watched the movie with my roommates about a year ago or maybe two years ago, so I was possibly thinking about that and getting them mixed up. So that kind of puts it in perspective. But Trevor, I must admit, you've eased my mind. We're now finally able to say we've done the movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, we had to get it to at some point, so it seemed like a good enough time to, uh, to, <laughs> to put those references to bed and actually have something concrete. So, uh, if, if you, if anyone out there has not yet seen Josie and the Pussycats, I've got a little, uh, a little synopsis here for you all. A girl group find themselves in the middle of a conspiracy to deliver subliminal messages through popular music in this send up of the music industry and pop culture. Ooh, deep. Ooh, it sums it up pretty well, and yes, and and the word pop culture, I think, yes, as we'll find out, is um is quite relevant as well. Now, it's uh, look, I didn't actually do my research before this podcast in terms of the background of Josie and the Pussycats. Now, I believe it's based on a seventies cartoon. I don't know if it was a big cartoon or anything like that, or sort of more of the Gem and the Holograms kind of era, not era, but um sort of. Infamy? I don't know, or popularity. Yeah, well, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats were a spin-off of Archie. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, they end up getting their own cartoon series of this girl band going around having comic misadventures, I suppose. And then eventually they got locked into a spaceship and we had the Pussycats in outer space, which I think was even more popular than the original cartoon. <laughs> uh, and, and then, yeah, what, some 30, almost 30 years after the cartoon had us run, we, we had this movie. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, you do get the feeling though, as you said, over 30 years, you do wonder if it was one of those things that they'd been planning for a while and was, might have been in production hell 
trying to get it made. Because <laughs> it seemed to have come out in quite a interesting time in film, and, and that's what you notice a lot about the movie too, like stepping ahead a bit, is the fact that it does feel very much of its 2000s or even very much a late 90s type movie. So, um, yeah, I, um, I wonder if if it would have worked any earlier or any later. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we'll get obviously get to some of the things the movie does, but I think, yeah, with, with what it tries to do, it, it probably does come in at about the right time um, in what it attempts to do. Uh, whether it does it or not, we shall, we shall get to that a bit later on. But one thing I, I did notice about this, this movie, and just to go on to, I suppose, our awards section, because so many times, you know, we're referencing things like the Razzies or the Stinkers Movie Awards, but this one, there's not a Razzie or a Stinker in the list. It didn't win anything, uh, but it was nominated for a few things. Like, it was nominated for a Motion Picture Sound Editor's Award for the best sound editing in a musical feature film, the Phoenix Film Critics Society Awards nominated it for Best Original Song for the song Three Small Words. And the Teen Choice Awards, uh, it was nominated for Choice Comedy, Choice Actress for Rachel Lee Cook, and Choice Breakout Performance for Rosario Dawson. Uh, and if you're familiar with the uh, more recent Marvel Netflix series... Yes, it's that Rosaria Dawson. It's the same person. Yeah, I was also trying to work out. I think she's also in a couple of um, Tarantino things, like maybe Death Proof or one of those. Yeah, I was trying to... I, I know she's a lot sort of more of an, an action girl nowadays, but yeah, it was interesting seeing her in a, a younger, possibly a um, a crossover role. But that's actually what I was going to say next is um, with, with Tara Reid playing, who, who I always assumed was kind of the lead actress until we find out that... Um, Josie's played by, was it Rachel Lee Cook, who I wasn't familiar with, mm-hmm, but yep. Tara Reid, and actually, I noticed it became a bit of an American Pie, who's who, did you notice that as well, they became, you had Eugene Levy made a cameo, and I think the guy that plays it, Robbie or Bobby, or whatever, the manager brother guy, <laughs> he was from American Pie, and then there was a few other, and then obviously Tara Reid, and there was a few other people popped up, and I thought, oh, I suppose, yeah, this says, this screams 2001, so, yeah, I, I noticed a lot of that, so I don't know if it was released, I I suppose it was probably, yeah, Universal, so yeah, it's probably released by the same company, so a bit of a tie in there. Yeah, well, I did notice quite a few familiar faces uh, popping up in, in just like one-off appearances and cameos and stuff like that, which, uh, you know, always adds a little extra layer to, to watching a movie, you just go, oh, I know that person, oh, look at that. Yeah. And especially in the sort of movies we're watching that are more recent when you can look back and go, oh, look at where that person is now and this is them in, <laughs> in say, an earlier role or, or in some cases some of those actors that, yeah, you know, haven't probably ventured past that. <laughs> but um, I, I do remember, um, I, I did mention earlier about having watched this with a um, roommate and I remember him being quite, I think you'd said when you suggested this that you knew someone that was quite a big fan of it and I, I think it's quite, it, it's got, it's, yeah, like with any sort of cult film, it's got its um, diehard fans or people that just haven't heard of it. And I do remember my roommate had the soundtrack all imported, so there was a big soundtrack with all the songs the girls sang and everything that he got imported and used to play that in the house all the time. So I was <laughs> familiar with a few of the songs already. So maybe he'd just been brainwashed by the music. I don't know. Quite possibly. <laughs> You're jumping ahead there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, was so, I was trying to segue, but it probably didn't work. <laughs> That's all right. Well, we will get on to that turkey trivia then. Uh, now, this is where we talk uh, turkey, uh, facts and figures about the movie, and then move on to a bit of trivia. So, uh, Josie and the Pussycats, it's rated 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. 
It had a budget of $39 million, and its box office takings was a grand $14.2 million. Yeah, which is quite low considering we are talking about, you know, more modern terms of, of um, movie going, I suppose. Like, 2001 wasn't that long ago. So, I do remember it kind of coming and going. I did work in a music or DVD shop at the time, and I remember it coming out on DVD, but yeah, it kind of sat there, that one or two copies. <laughs> yes, indeed. But um, one thing I was surprised about, just to go straight on the trivia, and particularly with that budget, uh, like... With your your previous references, when uh, usually with regards to things like um, branding and, and consumer branding appearing in movies, and, and this one is has, has a little bit of that in there. But to stay with the consumer economy tone of the film, uh, from beginning to end, there are approximately seventy three companies who have product placements shown, uh, from logos to actual items, from entertainment, electronics, fashion, food, hygiene, and cars. However, no money was received from all the product placement in the film. So basically, they just got, obviously just got permission to use these company logos, uh, but then didn't actually seek sponsorship, which I think could have, you know, could have got them a bit more money in the budget there. Yeah, but it could also be them going more of a creative angle where this is us trying to make an artistic point, possibly, by using all those those logos rather than trying to make money out of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like a, possibly a wasted opportunity. But the fact that all those companies wanted to come on board is, is possibly proof that there was a lot of, a lot of belief in this project, <laughs> that it would be bigger than what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that may be a point that I was going to look at a bit later on, but but yeah, absolutely, you do get the feeling um, with with some of the involvement with this movie that people were expecting it to be a little bigger than, say, you know, a, a movie that didn't even make back half of its budget. So uh, another thing this movie does is has lots of, I suppose, in-jokes and references to other things. So uh, in the control room scene, there's a scrolling message that can be seen which says... Can't Hardly Wait was underrated, and that's because the directors Harry Alfort and Deborah Kaplan directed both Can't Hardly Wait and Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> well, I suppose it makes sense, I suppose, in a movie that's just full of slogans and product placement, they may as well throw some things in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, this is probably one of my favorite things, the, the boy band that opens a movie called Du Jour. Uh, and the term du jour uh, it was picked because it normally is used to, degri- to describe something that is enjoyed greatly, but probably will be short-lived in popularity oh. or publicity, which, you know, wasn't all that uncommon with boy bands <laughs> in the uh, in the late 90s. Yeah, and especially in this period when it came out. And that's funny because I think one of the characters goes, oh, du jour means friendship or du jour means family. And I'm like, I've got to look that up, so... <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. But, um, yeah, there was, a, I think it was uh, probably about 10 minutes in, and I'm like going, oh, when is this supposed to be set? Because it felt very futuristic. But then um, then when they started making references to Car- Carson Daly and TLC, I'm like, yep, 2001. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is so 2000. So, yeah, 2001, <laughs> late 90s, start of 2000s. There's no doubt about Definitely. it. A few, a few things that happened in this movie did take me by surprise because I thought... Um, it was meant to be more of a family movie, but there's a few gags in there which made me question that. But there was a family-friendly edited cut of the film, 
which was released on DVD along with the original theatrical cut, and it omits the majority of the profanity and sexual references. Which, like, I'm thinking of, oh, well, there's probably not too many, but I'm sure there's key scenes that I'll come to and be like, ah, that's right, (laughs) because there probably would have been some inappropriate bits. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like a bit during the opening credits, which took me by surprise. (laughs) They did that. Uh, Again, we'll come back to that. But in order to preserve the wholesome image of Josie and the Pussycats, even with the version with the profanity and sexual references, Archie Comics demanded there be a scene where Josie and the Pussycats were seen brushing their teeth. Oh, no. Because they needed to be role models for Archie Comics. Oh, I thought you were going to say the part where um, Tara reads with the kittens or something like that, but or the, or the doll, or the puppies. But, um, but yeah, oh, gosh. But, yeah, that, and that's the thing, like, as we'll get to as well, they seem to be... You can see the connections a lot to the cartoon in terms of they seem to be running home, um, pushing home the whole 70s meets the, in our case, late 90s, what we're thinking of with this. So, but yeah, that's me stepping ahead a little bit. <laughs> Was there any other trivia that, that you had? No, to- I didn't actually. I'm glad you had that covered. So, ready to get into the next bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, excellent. Well, this is the Redeeming Features cast, so we need to work out what we're working from. So, what I've done is I've been to Amazon and, and found... Uh, the baseline review. So this is uh, towards the bottom of the scale and again uh, looks at what we're working from in order to see if we can redeem the movie. Now this is a bit of a longer one. I did try to cut it down but it's got quite a few points in there. So this is not the nimble intellectual satire that the movie makers would like you to think it is. Beyond that, it is insulting and may actually be a vehicle for the very product placement, power of suggestion marketing technique it claims to be skewering. The movie does not really know what it wants to be, and it manages to not be any of the movies it's trying to be. It's not a teen flick, it's not a comic book adaptation, it's not a clever social satire, it's not a comedy, biting or otherwise. One of the biggest issues I have with the movie is the product placement and subliminal messaging. If they really meant it to be seen as a comment on rampant commercialism, why didn't the movie makers use fake brands? Instead, the well-known brands and logos crammed into every corner of every frame in the film turn it into the commercial it claims to be railing against. Somebody else felt that it was downright deceptive, and I'm inclined to agree. The movie has no character development. I know they are cartoon characters, but even cartoons have some personality. The acting is limited. Rachel Lee Cook mostly just expresses dull surprise, Rosaria Dawson is given almost nothing to do, and Tara Reid can't even do ditzy with any conviction. Posey Parker and Alan Cummings are reasonably good, but with this script they've got to work awfully hard, and their characters still end up being flat, one-dimensional stereotypes. The plot could have been entertaining in a goofy cartoon way, but instead it kind of just lays there, waiting for someone to pick it up and run with it. And why was it necessary to toss in a bunch of juvenile, vulgar humour? Again, just insulting. Originally, I was hoping to find a cute, fun, light romp with Josie and the Pussycats. I bought it thinking it would be surprisingly meeting and meaningful. In the end, I got neither, and this DVD now resides in the garbage. One star. But then at the same time, I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd go to a movie, um, want to see a movie called Jason the Pussycats expecting something meaty. That's what I think. So maybe that reviewer went in with the wrong attitude. But again, I don't want to give away anything. Yeah, I, I think I mean I do remember some of the lead up and some of the promotion, and there was like a bit of a, a the 
I do remember there was an attempt at getting Buzz going, but then it just kind of disappeared. That's basically my recollection of uh, of the of Josie and the Pussycats back at the time. Um, and then yeah, you know, here, here we are, sixteen years down the track, and I finally saw it. So. Yeah, exactly. And so, and our thoughts will be known. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, as I said, yeah, I'd seen it for the first time like yeah. a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, it sort of escaped me. But it's one of those ones that, as I said, like a cult movie where people, occasional people, talk about it. It's not obviously something like a huge cult movie or anything like that. But yeah, there there are its fans out there. Just not that reviewer, possibly. <laughs> no, no, I don't think he's a fan. But one thing I am a fan of, and uh, I was quite happy when I saw this, just over 90 minutes, Christian. Oh, I, it's, it's, it's not a... I know. It's not an epic. It works well, <laughs> by doesn't any it? Oh, and I actually thought you were going to say it was great to see the um, the uni- um, the MGM line at the start, and I think my version had that. Was I watching the right movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that, yay. That, oh, and again, <laughs> love seeing the MGM lines. But that's the thing that I thought was funny is um it's I think it had the it had the MGM line, then it had the Universal logo, and my actual DVD is released by Fox. So <laughs> bit of confusion there with distribution. Oh, I just see this goes with the all the all the brands that just pile into yeah, exactly. all the big companies it could have been purpose. working on the outside as well. <laughs> very good, but uh but yeah, for Josie and the Pussycats, it, it does start with a very 90s boy band with, uh, quite a few familiar faces playing the various, um, the various band members. Was, was that, yeah, I was gonna ask, was that Ethan Hawke as one of them? Looked a bit like him. Yeah, I think it was Ethan Hawke, um, Seth, uh, Seth Green was in there. Um, I'm just trying to find the other ones. They all look very familiar. Mm, a lot, um, and a lot from sort of those 90s... Ones, to tell you the truth. A lot of those 90s teen comedies again, I suppose. So it was very much the casting of the time. <laughs> it was. Because uh, the cast is in front of me. No, I, can't, I can't see who uh, the other it's two all good, but... Sorry for the rest of du jour. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 can't, uh, I can't name you. <laughs> but I did like its, um, its representation of that whole fan hysteria. That You know, that's not unlike what we saw God, years ago with the Beatles and even now with One Direction. So, you know... I know that it's got its criticism for its sort of, you know, the, the I suppose it's tongue-in-cheek look at product placement and consumerism, but I think already from from this scene, you know, they've, they've kind of nailed it, hit the nail on the head and it's still relevant today. This is how people behave. So I think already it was off to, to mm-hmm. me, it already caught me in as, you know, something that... Uh, it's something that seems quite real, and that's the thing. Uh, one thing I noticed because I've studied marketing, so you know, it, it's funny having a bit of a chuckle through a lot of the scenes in this movie. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, I can imagine. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the the boy band come on, and 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 they they're, they're doing it perfectly. Just the perfect, uh, I suppose, take off of the hysteria of the time. And there's a woman in a wedding dress in the crowd with the big sign saying "Marry me," and you know all those <laughs> all those things you see. Uh, and but then they they launch into the song and you're thinking, okay, the level of humour is going to be at this level, is it? As they uh, sing their their hit single, I said, I'm going to be your backdoor lover. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of okay. <laughs> yeah, like we don't know much uh, about you at this stage. Yeah, but it was hard to know. Yeah, it was a bit obvious, obvious humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, on one hand, you've got this spot-on parody of 90s boy bands and then straight for the sexual innuendo. 
yeah, <laughs> where, where, who was this pitched at, and and where is it pitched at? I'm curious to find out. Yeah, and I think the fact that it continues this whole pace the whole way, where it's it's constant parody. Like, yeah, in hindsight, you can now go, hey, like I, I you know, <laughs> I, I think it was just that they hit the parody from the moment from pretty much the opening scene. And I noticed even the way, you know, obviously it's parodying a lot of boy bands, but you know, the first thing I think is, um, what is it, um, Backstreet Boys, and I think they do that one of those songs outside like a plane or an airport it sort of reminded me of that scene too but it's even yeah, edited yeah. like a music video as well so I thought that was a clever touch but yeah I sort of realised from this moment which is pretty early into it that yeah we're going to be pretty much thrown parody in our face but not in a bad way I, I think it's probably doing what a lot of other films didn't try you know it, it found its I don't know its pace straight away <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way of saying it yeah yeah but Oh god! When the band gets on the plane and and they're all playing their 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 characters, these these boy bands, and they've all got issues, and one of them says he's stealing my facial expression, and the other one's got the pet monkey that apparently keeps pooping and everything, and it's just these constant arguments until Alan Cummings <laughs> comes in. It's like, an, oh my god, you're in this yeah. um, to to settle things down, and, and like I mean, I found that quite annoying. But then it finishes when they realise there's something in the backing track of their music that they, they play to him and he immediately goes straight to the pilot and just goes, drive the Chevy to the levee. <laughs> and they jump out and let the plane crash. And I just thought, A, that was a very clever joke. B, ooh. And and and, and C, I'm thinking, where I thought this movie was, was intended at first, I didn't really think that many people would get that joke. But it's like... Okay, that was interesting. Well, I think I said earlier, there's a lot of sort of the, and I know it's a lot of 70s references, and I don't know if it was also sort of a, a, a you know, a, a homage to the era of the cartoon, but that's probably the first time I noticed one of those sort of things. There's a couple of other things I'll, I'll mention later on, but yeah, it's like they have to constantly remind you of where, of the origins of the era. I don't know if it was meant to be that, or trying to use all this hip jargon that possibly wasn't even hip in 2001. <laughs> Yeah, the, a lot of the jargon is just thrown in to be jargon, uh, pretty much the same way a lot of the branding is thrown in just to be branding. Well, that, and that's uh, what but, uh, one thing I noticed about all this product placement, they don't exactly go light on with it, which is obvious. Like, if you're going to use a Target logo, they don't just have two, they have the entire plane covered in Target logos, and not even just having the logo. I think I even noticed a few shots where it's actually got the word Target next to the logo, just to reinforce it. And I think later on we see a scene, I think, where the dog and even the, the pillow have the Target on it too so and there's these weird in the plane or some weird board game or something it's supposed to be supposed to be boggle or something like just uh, even later on they had remote controls and, and different things on the wall so yeah i noticed they weren't light on with their with their logoing so they were definitely throwing um, shoving it down our throats early on you've got that happening you've got all the branding in the plane which was quite funny at that point um and and this very like little subtle gag referencing you know Buddy Holly dying in a plane crash so that they can crash the plane. And they cut to the opening credits and they go straight in and it just goes, they put a pussy cake in the opening credits. <laughs> like you got Tara Reed's character trying to get people to honk. Honk if you like hugs. Honk if you like this. And then she's holding the sign, partially concealed, <laughs> so it says, honk if you like pussy. And a car crashes, and then she goes, oops, and pulls it out, and it's pussy cats. But I'm thinking... I thought this was a kids movie and you're doing a, you're doing that joke. Yeah, yeah. And so were I, I am confused <laughs> as to the intent. Yeah, it's like backdoor lover, 
we'll see what is oh, going on and, and that's a- in this town of Riverdale, if not in this world. <laughs> I know, and we, and we think the world they're going to go into is just going to be, you know, is worse, but I think it's probably just as bad. But I, um, this show business world, but yeah, and, and that's the one thing about this, even though it's an enjoyable movie, and I don't want to give away my thoughts, you know, too much yet, you can still see why there's just so many things that are just mismatched or, or just, you can see why this bombed. <laughs> just little things like that, you know. Mm. As you said about Alan coming, entering, um, he was, um, yeah, it was, you can tell he was having so much fun with it and it's one of those things where you know the moment he walked in that he was going to be the villain of the whole piece, you know, relishing the role every minute of it and I think that's probably the secret to how every role should have been played in this but based on how him and Parker Posey were together. Yeah, maybe not everyone playing the same level of energy, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, look, if everyone was mugging to the camera as much as Alan mugged to the camera, it'd be like the entire cast is looking at me. <laughs> you, you know, Alan mugging to the camera all the time. The crash, the, the, the jet crashes mugged to the camera. He comes to the Riverdale sign and he's on the phone. He he goes, I'll find someone. He puts the phone down, mugs at the camera. It's like... <laughs> Will you stop looking at the camera, Alan, and just keep going? Oh, he almost just wants to wink every time. But but you mentioned the opening credits. But, yeah, it was actually, like, you know, based on a few of the other movies we watched, at least they were quite exciting opening credits. And it was actually a clever way to intro the, the three girls and their backgrounds in, in quite a, a quick way, mm. instead of having to do a whole background story about all three of them. And that's probably what that review was saying about character development. It didn't really have much because <laughs> it was all, all sort of done in montage just to get to the point, which I appreciated because it didn't really waste any time setting things up. And, and this is probably the first time, um, because of course it's, it's got one of the, the Josie and the Pussycat song playing over the opening credits, and you know what? It, wasn't a bad song. I, I was quite enjoying it, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I did find the soundtrack actually is quite, you know, quite, there's some hidden gems on there for sure. But Sorry, I was going to say very much of that sort of Letters to Cleo, sort of not Riot Girl so much, a bit, bit, bit more poppier than that, but yeah, that very much that late 90s <laughs> girl band sound. Mm-hmm. The the girl the girl rock band, let's mm. say. So, you know, we, we, we had the, the boy band doing their their smooth pop ballads and then Josie and the Pussycats rocking out with, you know, guitar and drums. So Yeah, so it was pretty much, you know, and I suppose this being up made it sort of the height of, or just after the height of girl power, so it would have been, <laughs> you know, quite relevant at the time too. So, but, um, and like, as I said, you sort of get an intro into their backgrounds and things like that, but then you've got the section where you find out, do they... They're just seeing each other, yeah. So that she's, um, Josie's boyfriend, the guy with the guitar, who sort of comes in and out a little bit later, but they sort of spend their time sort of focusing on that one. I thought it was strange. It was the first time it kind of lulled <laughs> after, you know, being so quick since it started. Yeah, yes. Uh, was it Alan M., the sexiest boy in Riverdale? Oh, that's right. It came like up that. in the credits just to <laughs> tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But then, like, you know, Josie, this lead singer of this of this band is is the one that he comes to when his truck breaks down. So, okay, of course you can fix trucks and stuff like that. And and then there's this whole uh, sexual tension scene where it's the, the obviously building a romance. And, and, and again, I, I will come back to it, but like there's, I suppose, repeated jokes they do in this movie. So this was the first time we were seeing this. And it's like, you know, have you ever got something you, you want to say to someone, but you, just can't say it, uh-huh, and he ends up talking that he wants to tell some guy at work that he stinks, and it's like, 
Okay. And, and uh, we see Josie's, well, to go back to the review, we see Josie's dumb surprise face. Yeah. I think that's what he was referring to at the time. And it was... She's just got this, like, wide-eyed, plain face that she just puts on at multiple times in the movie, which I think is her little reaction face to comic shenanigans. It might be her pussycat face, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. But yeah, no, there was... Um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, and that's what I thought about that whole when he's talking about the smelly guy at work. I'm like, okay, is there any sort of point to this? I know you're trying to get. Yeah, I think because it had been so quick, the movie had such had such quick editing up to this time. It was like you're bothering to stop to do this, <laughs> considering as we find out later on, there's not so much any other character development, even though this really isn't. Yeah, I think it was just to sort of like, you know, set up a, a love interest. Um, and and make it look like it was mutual, but is it really? We don't know. Well, we do know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just one of those things. It, it, again, like there's a few times where it seems to be setting one thing up and then we'll change it to something else. I, th- I think this was one of the scenes where which attempted to do something comical and different, but ended up not being all that funny. It was interesting enough, and they're, 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 they're charming enough characters, but. But the way it ended up being put together was just like, okay, that was a scene. And yep. then we go back to the Pussycats having a band meeting and Tara Reed being completely ditzy. And it didn't take me very long to to, uh, to start to start finding Tara Reed just a little bit annoying. Oh, I know. Cause um, I don't know. Was with it... her ditzy blonde drummer. <laughs> was it even from that moment? That, was that the same scene where she did the whole, I'm in the bedroom, then I'm in the... And I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, can you someone just close the door and leave her out of the room? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that I, was it. <laughs> and I, I think it's um, I, I sort of actually second what the reviewer said about Tara Reid being. She, I don't think she really necessarily did ditzy well. So, but um, but yeah, it's um, yeah. But anyway, there was a few other annoying things. But yeah, that was <laughs> definitely one of them. But one thing I noticed, and I don't know. Oh yeah, this was the bit. Yeah, when they're in the um the kitchen actually, when she was doing that running around bit. I, and we were talking about the 70s and all that sort of stuff before, and I almost got the feel they were trying to do that again with the look of the kitchen. Did you notice it was all very much these sort of um, almost this pastel retro look in the background? So, yeah, again, I'm a bit confused on what they were trying to do, but it was like they were always trying to sort of reinforce the comic book origins as well, like having everything bright and all that, which I, I appreciated, but I don't know, maybe if I was looking too much in the background, not enough was happening in the scene, I don't know. Yeah, I know that. I think just before we we get introduced to to the the love interest, uh, I believe jo- Josie's doing the uh, the old um, collage of looks in the mirror as she's practicing a guitar or something, and that gets very seventies looking very fast uh, before the knock on the door comes along. <laughs> Seen that before in a movie. That's the thing too. There's so many cliches in this film, and and I think it's it's one of those things that it's it's hard to it's hard to go. Oh, have they just really you know thrown it down our throats just to be obvious? You know, it's kind of obvious, but I also think it's quite possibly creative. I don't know. Maybe I'm just one of the gullible ones who's hearing subliminal messages. <laughs> I don't know, but thinking is this around the time when they actually get discovered because that is pretty obvious <laughs> the whole driving in the car and trying to um yeah. trying to find a girl band i mean a band to replace but i, I might be jumping ahead a little bit there actually yeah, that, that's okay i do want to touch on something before we get to the discovery part where uh, where alan Cumming goes to the music store and he's playing the music and everyone starts doing the oh this is the new that and this is the new that which 
gets done uh, a lot through the, the course of the movie. Uh, but there's one girl with, you know, slightly miscolored hair and wearing a Cure t-shirt comes up and he's going, oh, this music's no good. And the, he makes a quick phone call and says, oh, really, please tell me more. And walks to her through the doors and a van just comes along and just <laughs> yanks her and drives off with her. It's like, okay, they kidnap non-conforming music fans. That was funny. Yeah, and it, it's funny. <laughs> it's the, whole, the whole setup. That, that was, a, that, that was, yeah, yeah. The setup, the setup to that gag and the way that worked out. It was just like, okay, I'll pay that one. I, I did like the way that was put together. And, but then he's me half expecting the next scene to be her taking to some place where they brainwash them. Blah blah. Ah, oh, yeah, no. Okay, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> They're not going to go into that detail. But yeah, I did think that was a clever touch as well. I, Sure. And, and again, there's so many things about this that were so very much about consumerism and almost, you know, um, it's almost, I'm sure the music companies wish they could do that to people that don't conform. But, um, but anyway, so, but as I said, this was supposed to be set mm-hmm. in possibly <gasps> 2001. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it later, but the use of the Walkman, let's just say that, or the Discman. <laughs> We definitely know when that's from. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But look, I mean, you, you say you thought you would expect that, but we we do see that girl later when they're showing off what the uh, the pussycat headphones do, and and they've got all the the non-conforming people in a room happily consuming or whatever. <laughs> so it's like okay, uh, they they did have something which comes back a bit later on, which was again why that was a good joke. <laughs> But that's the thing. There's so that's, yeah. yeah, there's so many different things. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say with the um, one thing that was really clever, which a lot of these other sort of movies, because that's the thing. You know, that, it's pretty obvious from the outset. This is that typical. You know, three girls in a band that become famous with a villainous record producer. It's and becomes they become big. Blah blah blah. Like it's 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 been done to death. You know, but um, the one thing that I thought was really clever is the fact that they yeah. started to do the whole Josie being singled out as kind of. It's a bit. I think every band's had this happen at some time, you know, where you know that someone wants to go solo or that whole sort of thing. And I actually thought it was quite clever. They brought the rift in quite early, and it was sort of developed a little bit, like you saw it from early on. Rosario Dawson. I think they go to get into a limo and they forget to drive her along. And I know it. I mean, sorry, um, get to forget to pick her up. And I know you might see it as a, you know, why have they thrown that in? But I don't know. I did think that was clever how they tried to build all that up quite well because you know it was pretty obvious like in all these sort of <laughs> this sort of plot that um, we know where it was going to go where there was going to end up being a big fight possibly <laughs> again that's something which has its issues when they get there yeah between then and others i mean again so many like self-referential nods and in jokes like um with uh with the the pussycat's manager and and his sister and they end up uh, after after they get discovered by alan cumming who almost literally runs him down in his van as he's saying, I will find you a band, and they're walking across the road with the instruments, and they don't even play a note for him. They just He just picks them up and takes them out for coffee, um, and, and they, sign, they sign up. But when they're flying there, and, uh, and Josie's um, smuggled Alan in saying he was a guitar tech, and they cut over to the manager, and there's the manager's sister, who we, we have uh, experienced a few times, just sitting there, and they're going, why are you here? Because I was in the comic book. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so cool. Because, you know, at least they've been canon, and at least they've, you know, tried to adapt to the actual comic book properly and, and had all the characters in there. But I'm assuming she just hung around as well <laughs> in the comic book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do actually kind of remember her from the cartoon. 
uh, like she was the one who was always trying to, I suppose, undermine Josie, and she wanted to be the star or whatever. I mean, she doesn't really do a lot in this movie, so having a line just saying that she's there simply because they're trying to include characters from the comic book is refreshingly honest. Yeah, but one thing that I found a bit, I don't know if it's weird, but having Starbucks, uh, Starbucks logos in the toilet and things like that. I think it was in that scene when they, um, yeah, he takes them out to coffee. And I think it happened later on too where she's having a shower with the Macca's logo everywhere and she's using the fake fries as a, a, a bath wash or whatever. I don't know, there's something weird about mixing food with toilets and bathrooms. <laughs> no, I just felt that really strange. But um, I suppose mm. you could almost half expect actually a Starbucks to have their logo everywhere through a toilet. <laughs> Quite possibly. Oh God, that shower scene where she's trying to wash herself and sing if you're happy and you know it at the same time and just keeps dropping her fry soap every time she claps her hand it's like okay we got the oh, joke no. the first time oh, I know. Still doing it. like oh, like a lot of these again. gags they just fall flat just go completely over your head <laughs> i completely miss it because <laughs> it just doesn't land well they just it doesn't land and then they run it into the ground <laughs> which happens on more than one occasion, I say, in this movie. But, yeah, like, the jokes either land, land okay, but then go on for too long, or are just, just not funny and keep on going as well, which makes me even less funny. It's like, come on, give me something else. Almost like there's, like, an extended edition or something. That it's like it was really edited together in a way that we're missing, missing scenes that developed possibly a lot more, because a lot of them just sort of, yeah, just cut off and, and move on to the next thing but I, um, back to the um, so, so I think it was around this time, again we were talking about things like that were quite obvious and, and things, uh, another obvious thing is well, of course we go to make our record mm. with Alan coming our manager and what's that strange mega sound thing in the corner you know, the whole thing that which we find out is what's um, putting the subliminal messages into um, the music. But, of course, uh, we won't... Will they say something along the lines of, uh, we don't know anything about this. Oh, let me show you how to use it. So, again, uh, one of those really obvious things you're like, yeah, I know that's going to come up later on. <laughs> but um, it doesn't really seem to make too much sense than just having the actual machine that does the evildoers work, uh, like, right next to the people that are that they're, they're using... To, to get their subliminal messages out with. It's like, interesting choice. You know, couldn't it at least been in the recording session, the recording booth part of the of the studio, not in with the actual artists themselves, but out with the rest of the audio equipment where it wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb? And it's almost signal. I don't know if it's later on, yeah, it's almost signaled out with this big halo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like... Just sticks out like a sore thumb in in this area with no other equipment around. <laughs> around, they can yeah yeah. Uh, I think this was also around the time when we started having jokes aimed at the movie itself. I believe there's like a, a cover of a magazine with the like that they've only just released their first single or whatever, and and there's a cover of this magazine already talking about a, a Josie and the Pussycats movie with like Drew Barrymore and <laughs> um oh, the Lucy Liu. <laughs> and Cameron Diaz. Oh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, right. okay, there you go. There's, there's, there's the people that did the, um, the Charlie's Angels remake and they're, they're implying they're going to be the, the stars of Josie and the Pussycat. It's like, okay. <laughs> Again, Radio. it was 2001, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there was a, yeah, mm-hmm. a few things that they did like that. But, um, yeah, in, in some ways cleverer, sometimes a bit too obvious but um but one thing i do notice about um you, you got to admit parker posey was bloody loving every minute of doing this and i i we say about um 
Alan Cummings sort of mugging the, the scene. I think Parker Posey just kind of felt like this movie possibly wasn't going the way that she thought. Grabbed it with two hands and just ran away with it. And those some of those outfits she wore, my God. Pa- Parker Posey, there was no doubt that, that she was also having a good time. Where, where yeah, she was giving it all she got. But she she was another one where which had a gag that, that gave me a bit of a pause, thinking, did they really just do that? So when she's sitting in her office and they bring in all the foreign dignitaries and she's going, I wonder why the, you know, why would the FBI bring foreign diplomats to a record company? And then she sweeps a pile of white powder away from a control panel. I'm thinking, did they just do a cocaine joke? In this movie? <laughs> did they actually just do a... Uh, uh, an implication that that the head of the stroke company had a pile of cocaine <laughs> on their desk that they just casually swept out of the way. Uh, it, I, it doesn't seem like, 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 like the. I mean, there's some like risque jokes in the movie, but like to have a full on cocaine joke and, and that pussy that pussy joke earlier, I'm going. That just seems to be a bit further than anything else in this movie is willing to go. And there was another one later on too. And I'm going. I just, it was almost jarring just to see it happen. It's like we always say, you know, it's often hard to know where this movie's aimed at, but it's like it, it, try, it tries to do what a lot of Pixar and all those are quite clever at doing, which is, you know, making things that are funny for the kids but have still have humour for the adults. And it's like it's trying to please both, but they're just, the, the adult ones, just don't go over the children's heads. I think that'd be a bit too obvious if it was seen for kids. But, yeah. <laughs> so many adult things in there that you, you still scratch your head, but maybe it's trying to appeal to the generation of the cartoon, that era. That was another thing I was thinking that you know maybe they were trying to aim it for for the people that like the cartoon and the and the comic books. But then again, there's just I think there was stuff that that took away from from the the simplicity of, of the old cartoons. Uh, and just like threw too much on top, which you know I, I can't really see it being appealing for the, to those people either. You, you know, sometimes with trying to update something, like the the original fans won't want a bar of it because you know they they want to see what they like, and instead they're getting this satirical movie looking at consumerism rather than uh, these these girls having comic misadventures. You know. Um, Especially a movie that feels again, you know, where where do you aim it? Because obviously there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't want to see that movie, based like faithfully on on the on the cartoon and comic books. And that's the thing. This feels very much. I mentioned American Pie before, but it feels very much of that era, that sort of teen film. That I'd, yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, again, it seems like it's trying to appeal to that age group. So it's a you know, it's very mismatched and. Probably, as I said before, you know, it's obvious why this film was a box office bomb. I don't think it quite knew where it wanted to sit. Right, but one thing I do, and I will say, and I will praise in this movie, was when the uh, the girls that uh, initially taunted Josie and the Pussycats outside the bowling alley where we first oh, see yeah. them playing their, their, their music, they come back to the door of, of Josie's room and they're just they're going... Again, for too long, you know, just absolutely losing their minds that they're, they're, they're seeing Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, we love you, it's you, ah, but you hated us, but now we love you. And they shut them out and cast back to Alan Cumming saying, you should be thankful that the people that used to taunt you at high school are now, uh, now singing your praises. At least you didn't have to wait for your 20-year high school reunion. 
did you just do a Romeo and Michelle reference? <laughs> oh my god, that's so good! And then he mugs at the camera. I know, again, more mugging. <laughs> oh my god, and that's the thing. You can't go wrong with a Romeo and Michelle reference. I, th- I think there should be more of that in all movies. <laughs> oh, but it's, again, automatically placing it in the era that it came out. Like, oh god, but that, I, I thought. Actually, what I thought you were going to say, the part you really appreciate, and I like this is, we've, we've seen this in a few movies, is that whole, the rise to fame montage, which is pretty much, I think, sort of what co- happens next after they, um, they're making their record, but it's, it's cool how they have that sort of montage, and there's one stage where the girls are dancing actually on the music charts, and just, uh, it was pretty cool, I, I really liked the way it was edited and things like that, and, um, again, questioning the cliche when um, Josie comes out with, what, and all of this happened in one week? I think it was around that time, too, and, and uh, you know, again, trying to ram it down your throat just one more time. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, the, the, where, where this shined is, is when they were doing, like, you know, musical-based, fast-paced, quick-cut stuff. It, it really, that's when it felt, the you know, the most fun. And, and just, you know, just doing ridiculous things that, that didn't overstay their welcome. And that, yeah, that that montage was was right up there with one of the one of the highlights of the movie. I think uh, over I, I can't, again I, I can't remember what the song was. The song was enjoyable, which I, I think adds to it as well. But yeah, and then and then yeah, Roman Michelle reference to top it off. <laughs> Icing on the cake. Fair. Well, that's the thing. I try imagining this film without the musical numbers, and I think it's actually quite good. There's really was it saving grace was having those sort of. Um, musical numbers that were very much like music videos or montages as such that sort of advanced the plot in some way. Like, I think they were good. Like, I think if they weren't in the film, it would be obviously lacking a lot, but um, it just wouldn't be the same. It, it wouldn't have those exciting bursts that it needed. So, And I appreciate stuff like that. So even though it's not really a musical as such, yeah, it, it's good having... It, I was surprised at the amount of musical numbers, actually, that ended up being in it. Yeah, I, I don't think you could do Jason and the Pussycats without musical numbers. I mean, that would just cause... Uh, probably cause a riot <laughs> at, at some point. More of a riot uh, than just this like you couldn't do in the holograms <laughs> without musical numbers, even though that was a very different beast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they they could have done they they could have done with a lot less of oh this is the new that this is the new that and they just came kept, they kept coming back to that 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 one line to sort of like show the effects of all the subliminal messages being put in the music. Um, and that's how they showed it. It was just people saying that, this is the new that. This is the new that. Oh, my God, that's the new that. Okay, we got the point. Yeah, it's like... We got the point. It's Please like we're not doing that game. <laughs> it's like we're not brainwashed human watching this. it keeps going this. all the way through the movie. Yeah, but whereas there's one thing, I, I'm probably skipping a few scenes you know, a while mm-hmm. ahead, but there's that scene where they go to the aquarium, and I thought this was a clever way of doing it, where they had everyone just dressed in blue, but nothing was said. Everyone at the aquarium's all wearing blue, like sort of to to match the the whole you know blue mm. feel of the aquarium. And I thought that was a clever way of doing it, rather than going, "Oh look, we're all wearing blue now." We're all wearing blue. <laughs> so yeah, I know what you mean. I was appreciative that they did things like that a bit more creatively, rather than having to just yep. state it every time. Yeah, e- even though after that, rather like you know more again, one of the more subtle bits of humour. Which thank you for. For pointing that one out to me, that one that one blew by me, by the way, it, which makes me feel that the fact that when uh, when Alan and Josie duck into a side room to escape the crowd, going "Oh my God, it's Josie," and they're in front of a dugong ca- dugong tank, and even the even the dugongs have have 
branding in the water behind them. We're going, oh, do we know. have to? And there was even something... in Evian water, are they? Oh, no. I, I must admit, again, like I said, the whole st- uh, Starbucks in the toilet and the Maccas in the bathroom. I don't know. There's something about um, seeing um, Jigong swimming around in Evian water. It left a really weird taste in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of... Yeah, maybe that's why they didn't want to pay for the advertising. Mm. Just have the logo, just have it. <laughs> but I suppose that's the thing. I, I can None of the logos were shown in a sort of malicious way, but they were just definitely trying to ram home the whole... Um, showing it, you know, showing things as many times as possible. And the one that I noticed came up a lot was Revlon, which I suppose, you know, being that it's show business and makeup and things like that, but that was always the logo I noticed was always visible, and it might have been because that was... You know, mainly in shots of them in the apartment. Yeah, I mean, they do have the whole getting made up scene as, as well as oh, yes. you know, <laughs> that whole rising to the top montage earlier on. But, uh, you know, when we get to the thing where uh, Josie's asked to listen to their uh, a special mix of their new single or whatever, and, and you know, she gets brainwashed and we have the whole, uh, you know, super melodramatic scene where she turns on her bandmates because of the music she's been listening to and it's like oh no ah." you know it just goes from this high melodrama to absolute saccharine sweetness after after um tara reed goes down has to play with puppies and it's all sad music because it's it's like okay that's one extreme to another in a very short space of time Oh, they've always got to have the movies like this always have to have the you know they've gone their separate ways montage with the whole slow song playing and everything like that and like yeah that's the thing it went so a lot of the plot was just so obvious especially that whole cliche of these you know these this band becoming big and then and breaking apart it's been done to death you know so but um but yeah as I mentioned earlier yeah it was definitely jarring seeing um Josie using a discman to get in the bath <laughs> even though I do remember using them it was quite funny and it definitely reminded me of when it came out <laughs> <laughs> but then um later on when she's walking down the street she's still listening to the the discman they've they've got the voiceover going and you start hearing the voiceover in the back of the music just in case we didn't understand why Josie was being mean before like you know at one moment it'll give you a, a subtle gag the next moment it'll be going here we're going to make sure you didn't miss this yeah, it, it, it's like, it, it, it's, that's what I think, is it like the filmmakers thought we were all being brainwashed as well, that we were that thick that we needed to be reinforced, but it, it, it's like a lot of things, it, it's like it made way for character development, instead of doing character development and giving a bit more sort of realism to the story, they just wanted to sort of flesh it out with these gags and, and try to sort of possibly keep it in that comic book realm, when I say comic book, not you know, like a bit light-hearted, which I, you know, I'm assuming the cartoon, you know, was was quite light-hearted. But I still thought they could have had a lot more to work with than this sort of, you know, plot that was quite thin, <laughs> really. So I think I interrupted you. You were about to say something, and then uh, I cut in. Oh I no, it's probably, I do apologise. Honestly, Trevor, I've probably cut on <laughs> so many times. I'm because honestly, all I can see is product placement in front of my face. There's so many scenes that merge together. But <laughs> I, um, I, we talk about another. You know, we're talking about things that go on a bit too long. Now, when they go their separate ways, and they decide to, um, so I think they tell Josie she's got a photo. Oh, that's right. They tell. Um, the other two, they've got a a um, interview on Carson Daly's um, TL. 
it was a TRL, sorry. So again, you know, reinforcing the 2001. But this was a scene that again they pushed the gag mm-hmm. a bit too much. I thought it would have been cool. Like they arrive on set and everything's all cardboard cutouts with the <laughs> with the um, um, the camera and uh, and all the um, guests and stuff. And then Carson Kresler comes in. Did, I mean, mm-hmm. not Carson Kresler. Carson Daly comes in. Was it with a knife or with a um, gun or something like that? And said, "I'm going to kill you now." And, and what it, it could have been a gag where they could have just well, done that and then moved on. But no, it had yeah. to be him and his sidekick who's pretending to be Carson Daly at the start, chasing them around the room trying to kill them. I don't know. I just felt that was a thing that you're like, yeah, you can move on from this now. I don't know if you got that feeling as well. Yeah, that that certainly went a bit too long. And, and the whole thing of, of Tara Reid um, sort of like <laughs> chatting with, sort of like, you know, flirting with Carson Daly as, as he's chasing her with a baseball bat through a, through the audience of cardboard cutouts. And they're all like, it's like Matt Damon and, Johnny Depp and all these all these people and these cardboard cutouts. And, you, you know, man, if you weren't trying to kill me, I could so totally date you. Oh, could you? <laughs> no! It's like, yeah, that we didn't see that coming. Yeah, uh-huh. it just and went it's like, on it's, and it's on. It's so 2001, but it's like they've paid a lot of money for him. <laughs> it's like they paid a lot of money for him and thought, we'd better make sure his cameo is actually a bit worthwhile. So, But, um, but yeah, we... we definitely know where it's going but uh, i think at this point and i'll speak in a little bit Mm -hmm. when we talk about the finale but it's definitely one of those um those movies that you're thinking okay how are they gonna round this up because a lot of it's seeming so obvious because josie's obviously realized by now aha about the subliminal messages and um and they've obviously got to um overcome their (laughs) having gone their separate ways but just the way it's done is probably a bit it, it just rounds up quite... The third act is, is interesting. <laughs> mm, I, I do like... There is one pay, payoff from that extended Carson Daly thing is is a bit later on. They they cut to the Carson Daly show where he's talking about the upcoming Josie and the Pussycats concert and he's there, he's, his arms in a sling, he's got a black eye. Um, <laughs> he's doing his hosting. It's like, okay, so the there was a funny payoff from that very long, painful sequence that... Was it really worth that much setup? I know, and it's like, should I have cut that? Actually, that reminded me of something you mentioned before about reference to the Cameron Diaz and all that being in the movie. But I think there was one part where they, I can't remember who it was, but said like, "Would you go and see a Josie and the Pussycats movie or a movie with you guys as the lead or something like that?" So again, throwing it in your face, and it probably sort of echoes a bit more of what that first mm-hmm. review that you read, where it was like, you know, they were trying to pretty much. I can't remember the terminology they used, but the whole, you know, pretty much preaching to the people that it's... Uh, preaching the concept to the people... Uh, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> doing what it was pre- technically trying to be yeah, parodying, yeah, yeah. it was actually doing firsthand, so... Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. but like any yeah, of these but, movies, especially uh, but, how I mentioned, you know, you've got these girls becoming famous and, and um, beca- they've always got to do a big concert before the big reveal. It's always got to happen, doesn't it? There's the big concert for them to something to go wrong <laughs> yes yes so uh, uh you know josie goes and she's about to uh to try to destroy the big machine that inserts some messages but of course she gets caught just before she can do it and in comes parker posey and ellen coming and they drag her off to to do the concert and she's going no i won't do the concert and of course they they put her life that they they then say okay well if you don't do it we're going to kill the other the other band members and they show uh show like a little uh, a news footage that will be going out in an hour of 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 the girls dying in a car crash if Josie doesn't play 
Um, and it gets so, again, one of the things where it gets so saccharine and sweet, and they're going, oh, I love you, Josie, oh, I love you, Melody, oh, and, and then Parker Posey just comes in and just goes, I'm so sorry I let you down. Sharp. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's like, okay. Oh, yeah, she's, she's not taking any crap from there. <laughs> that. That was, again, one of those things. But again, one of those things where they set one thing up and then turn it into something but- else, which, happens multiple times multiple times in the movie but when when they do manage to to get the girls out and of course there's the comical fight scene you've got um like rosaria dawson just basically thumps a guy out and then you cut back to tara reed and this this guy comes up and starts you know doing the martial arts poses and again i know what's coming oh look the dudes can do martial arts what a surprise and meanwhile Parker Posey and Josie are having a, a, a full on, a full on, you know, bitch fight, um, knocking over tables and doing that, that normal trope as well. But you could tell Parker Posey was still enjoying herself, which was great. And that, that, that made that bit fun. Oh, I know, even with cake in her mouth or chips all over her face or whatever, but that was one thing, cause I, like, I, I wrote this off as a, oh, you know, a really, really badly, done ending, but I think it was also them trying to be very cartoon-esque, you could kind of half expect the the boom, pow, you know, all that in between, you know, it was it was like they were trying to do the lightheartedness of the cartoon with a bit of an action ending, but again, as we've discussed, you know, they, they aren't quite sure of their audience, and, and as a result, I found the ending just seemed to drag a bit and feel a bit tacky, almost like the, um, you were watching one of the rehearsals of the blooper reel, and they've just gone, oh, let's, let's just end it that way, but I think it was one of those movies where really, I suppose, from having the, um, well, actually, I've, I'm probably going to um, change as I'm talking midway about this, but I think a big thing is, too, we're waiting for that big thing on the stage, which, with the, what's his name, Adam, or the guy, uh, Alan, the guy that comes in and, and you know, ends up um, crowd surfing up to her, um, you know, I think that's supposed to be this big scene that ends up not really happening. So, again, I don't think the film really gets a proper ending. Yeah, well, you know, the the, the Pussycats manage... Well, we, we find out the the true identities of, of Parker Posey and Ellen coming in this, like, um, what was it? Parker Posey was Lisping Lisha, and Ellen Cumming was this albino kid. <laughs> and and so they end up... They, they almost end up together until the <laughs> and FBI they used to go to school agent comes in. <laughs> and, and even though he's... Yeah, yeah, and even though the FBI agent was in on the actual plan to brainwash everyone... Uh, because they're being pointed out, he's got to go. Sorry, guys, I have to arrest you guys. Uh, the you know I can't be seen to be supporting this sort of stuff. But don't worry, we found that putting subliminal messages in movies is a is a lot more uh, effective now. And Jason the Pussycats is the best movie ever comes up on screen as everyone looks at camera, thinking, "Yeah, that was a lot of use, guys." Um, and then you know we've got to see can Josie and the Pussycats oh, be popular. On a live concert without the subliminal messaging, of course they can. Who had any doubt? And but the thing with uh, with Alan, you know, being crowd surfed to Josie, and just as he's about to drop the "I love you" line, like he actually gets dropped in the crowd. That gave me a giggle <laughs> before the uh, before the compulsory lovey dovey moment up on screen. Uh, up on stage, but then uh, even then Rosario but, Dawson I mean, comes on and kind of just taps him on the shoulder, which again was a nice touch. It's a very cliched ending, but this is a couple of little nice touches. Yeah, it was almost like let us do our show. <laughs> yeah, 
And I'm glad it wasn't, as I said earlier, you know, it, uh, it sort of, it, there wasn't too much to it with him coming, you know, you, th- you thought it was going to be more, I'm glad it wasn't more than it was, because as you said, it would have been even more saccharine and sweet, but I, um, was going to say, uh, I, I was a bit worried at first, because you know how they normally come out in movies like this, and they go, I'm going to win you over, and then she started doing a slowish song, and I'm like, oh, you don't win them over with a slow song, and I'm glad it kind of became one of their sort of signature kind of, you know, an up-tempo sort of number, and yeah, and, and I, I suppose in that way it works, and I yeah. think... Obviously, we've got the closing credits, but I think it ends that way, wasn't it? That was the final thing. Yeah, yeah. So they do that, and then of course they they, they cut out to uh, a cover version of the of the old cartoon theme song, which which was a nice touch <laughs> over 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 some B roll scenes, which I think is always debatable at the <laughs> end of the movie because a lot of the times those B roll scenes can actually be funnier than most of what happens in the movie. These weren't overly funny, but it always seems a bit risky and, to to put those bloopers at the end. I think. Yeah, but it seems a very much it's very much a modern trend or a, or a two. A, a 2000s thing I'm assuming they still do it I know they do it a lot and still in comedies and things but one thing that I don't like about it is it, it takes you immediately out of what you've just seen it kind of takes you out it's kind of like I suppose uh, mm. you know, it's almost like you realise I know what you're seeing was, was was fictional but I mean it kind of takes you straight out as oh they're just actors I don't know I, I think they shouldn't have that at the end of film it sort of it um, undermines the creative <laughs> film but I must admit it was cool I think it ended up being about three different songs were played but I, I thought it was good just for you Trevor that's that song that we were mentioning at the start Backdoor Lover the big hit by Du Jour they have to give us one final reminder of Du Jour at the end um, by having one of their songs play I think is the, the last yes, very last do. song for those who would have still been sitting in cinemas <laughs> yes yes oh actually mind you when, when Du Jour reappears and uh, they're basically, you know, only one of them is recognisable. The rest are in, like, full body casts. And it's like, we're going to stop you! And they just all fall over. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. Another, t- another bit that was kind of like, okay, I'll pay that one. I'll pay that bit. I'll pay that bit. <laughs> but, oh, dear. So, um, was there anything else that was uh, pressing on you from watching? Oh, I was just going to say about that last bit. I, I thought it was cool that um, you know they said they actually ended up landing in a Metallica concert and, and got got more damage from the from the patrons at that than um, the, the the plane crash. I thought that was clever. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've got to add, actually. Yeah, and and the lead singer saying that you know it, the only reason he was in the full body cast was because he knew the words to Enter Sandman. I think okay, that's funny. <laughs> I must admit it was that moment when I went oh god I wouldn't survive that concert <laughs> anyway <laughs> well that seems to have gotten us to the end of Josie and the Pussycat so now comes a big time Christian now, even though you you had allegedly watched this before I did pick it this time around so Please let us know your thoughts. Are there any redeeming features in this movie? And as is it redeemable overall? Oh, gosh. Well, in comparison to the amount of Revlon logos, I've got so many things going into in my head about this movie. But, look, I think the biggest thing that I... And I mentioned earlier why I think I was thinking we'd seen this before is it reminded me a lot of Gem and the Holograms, now, or, or Gem, as, as the, um, the movie adaptation became. But I remember you being a fan and redeeming that, and I didn't. And I think the whole time I was thinking this is what Gem should have been, that real sort of tongue-in-cheek take on these 
sort of cartoons or, or you know, this sort of pop culture icons, you know, but um, whilst, you know, it's quite mismatched, it, it, you know, it does make some clever statements, this film, you know, about consumerism and, and the music industry and even though a lot of it's quite laughable about some of the stuff with the, you know, the hysteria of the fans and people sort of fit, falling into fads, you can still nod your head about a lot of the stuff as being quite, um, you know, you can definitely see that it still happens in this day and age. And I don't know if in that case the movie was very much ahead of its time, but we're always being brought back into, into sort of the era it came out of with its sort of 90s alternate rock sounding soundtrack. It's not even, as I said, it's more sort of pop, but... But yeah, I'm, I'm going all over the place here reading some notes, but um, it's definitely ahead of its time, but uh, it, I probably, it, I was even saying it to the person I watched it with, I said, um, I don't know if I'd, um, I don't know if this movie could be released now, it's definitely still got that 90s feel, and, and as I mentioned earlier, very much of the, the American Pie kind of era of sort of these, these sort of teen movies, so, but... um. It's a shame that it's let down by such a lame ending. Um, I, I just didn't, as I said, it just seemed to go on too far and didn't really know how it wanted to end itself. But um, but it was colourful. It was pastel, a lot of comic book. Um, you know, it was a comic book live action, which I can appreciate. You know, as someone who grew up on the Ninja Turtles movie, <laughs> I can appreciate live action um, cartoon things like that. So, look, Trevor. Long story short, I'm definitely going to redeem this film. I, I I still think it's a lot of fun, and I don't have any issues with it. And I would I think I would happily watch it again. Fantastic! Woo, that's a that's a nice start. Um, it's always good to be halfway there, but that <laughs> no. means all the pressure is now with me to see if we can officially give it the tick. Um, <laughs> so look, I mean, this movie it definitely started funny. I mean, I. I did get quite a few laughs from the self-referential humour. And, and the Pussycats themselves, thankfully, were definitely likeable, even if Tara Reid got a little annoying very fast. That pussy joke still, though, that, that took me by surprise. Parker Posey and Alan Cummings, they actually reminded me a lot of the uh, Sarah Bernhardt and Richard E. Grant teaming from Hudson Hawk. Just nowhere near as extreme, and and really the soundtrack the soundtrack was pretty decent. I I I did find myself enjoying the music as it progressed, and and we got more and more of the product placement self and the self referential humor. It did get less funny, and and they kept doing a lot of similar gags over, um, and and stretching them out like multiple times. It did pick up towards the end. Uh, look, the the ending was entirely predictable, but yeah, I found it enjoyable. It, it was a a nice ending. Uh, when obviously, given the movie that led up to that point, it it felt like it could have been bigger. Look, to, again, look, I've got to compare it to the most similar movie that we have watched, being that Gem and the Holograms movie, and this is certainly a little better than that. Not a lot, a little. It's enjoyable. So really, at the end of the day, I've just got to say it's enjoyable enough and, and it certainly is redeemable. Yay! Oh, that is music to my ears. <laughs> Whew, music by Josie and the Pussycats, perhaps? Oh, that's what I like to hear. Yes. Hey, hey, at least I can now talk about having watched the film <laughs> and we can at least say it in a positive light and not shudder. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a good time watching it and, and would certainly say check it out. And, uh, well, we've redeemed another movie. That's always cause for celebration. You know, it had its issues, and that's all good. But this movie 
has got its big, big fans. So I, I went back and I've got another review uh, to really, I suppose, put the icing on the cake for the redeeming features for this movie. This one is titled Subtle and Well Done. When I first heard about this movie, my main interest was to hear its satire of pop boy bands. I then learnt of its insensitive use of ad placements, which occur in over 75% of the scenes of the movie. I was a little apprehensive to watch this after learning that, but I'm glad I decided to watch it. The movie has a very subtle attack on today's use of advertising, and it's a very well-developed joke with a well-placed punchline. The night of watching this film, I had to get the soundtrack. The music selection in this film is very nice if you like female punk, though I never listen to punk much. I had to buy the soundtrack. The other songs in the soundtrack are parodies of boy bands performed by Dejure, an aptly named band in the film. Uh, their songs provide a humorous look at the contemporary boy bands from two different points of view, uh, one being slightly inappropriate for younger audiences, uh, but they are subtle and only add to the film's approach to music and movies in today's society. While some of the humour is a little more risque for younger audiences, I think overall it has appeal from early teenage years up through to college students. I hope the DVD has some nice features, but the film alone makes it worth the purchase. Five stars. Well, so yeah, as I said, I think it's one of those ones that people either really, really like it or have never heard of it or don't like it. <laughs> yep, yep. I guess, I don't know, I, I can't see a middle ground, but yeah, I, I think you're either going to either going to like the joke or not like the joke because it's one main joke in the movie, so that's probably the uh, the turning point for most people, which is fine. I, I do must admit, I, I do like in that last review that you read that the um the subject line was um a su- a subtle homage or whatever like that. I'm like, oh, if you call that subtle <laughs> in terms of, in terms of the product placement, but anyway, <laughs> not dissing it at all. <laughs> no, no, that. You can't say it was subtle, but uh, but that's fine. Like I said, we uh, we you know, we hope people enjoy these movies any way they can. If you enjoy a movie, then that's good for you, and we don't judge you for that unless you're completely wrong. <laughs> so we've redeemed Josie and the Pussycats. I'm so excited, <laughs> Christian. That means it's over to you for what we're going to check out next time. Oh gosh, no pressure at all. <laughs> but look. I um I'd love to look. I won't take full credit for this now. Um, Trevor would know this. A few weeks ago, I, I sort of put it out to a few of our sort of Facebook fans and um, and people that we knew to sort of give us some suggestions. And and as you saw, Trevor, who we opened the floodgates with that one, and, and a few titles that we'd done before, a few that we will never do, and a few that made me sort of go, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great idea. So I must admit, I'm cheating this time round and um, going back to that list. But I thought it was quite relevant. Now, um, by the time this um, next pod, oh, when we're due to have the next one out um, we will be celebrating uh, the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Fever now we will not be it's not Saturday Night Fever is not the movie we'll be watching but I thought we're sort of looking back I, I think it's time to go possibly back to the disco era Trevor so sorry to break up not break up the musicals so <laughs> we're going back to um, 1978 now we're going to a movie that's been suggested by somebody that <laughs> yeah, as I said very much of the era in his 40 years next year had Deborah Winger in it had Jeff Goldblum in it who um, you know is pretty much in every second movie it's got the Commodores, and one of the headlines is um, everyone is going to the hot new disco. So we're going to look at the Donna Summer vehicle from 1978 called Thank God It's Friday. Ooh, I was not familiar with this movie. 
and uh, I was not familiar that Jeff Goldblum had been in a uh, a musical movie like that. So I am definitely keen to check this out, and uh, I'm just uh, you know doing the great thing of looking at something on the internet while I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Donna Summer in all her glory. <laughs> well, I was just actually looking at the um, details, and I thought it was quite interesting when this podcast comes out. I think it came out, this said it comes out on the 20th of July, 1978. So we're, <laughs> we're a year off, a year or so off, but we're, um, yeah, we're watching it almost 40 years later. And me being a bit of a disco buff, I'm quite, it's actually mm-hmm. quite probably bad that I haven't seen this. I have got a copy somewhere, so maybe I might have to dig that out. <laughs> oh, good. Now, uh, if anyone out there wants to check out, thank God. It's Friday uh, before our next podcast. I've had a quick look, and uh, this is available through uh, Apple iTunes, Google Play, and on the Microsoft Store in Australia. Again, if you're outside of Australia, you probably have a lot more options that I don't have access to here. Good luck to you. Enjoy that. Uh, and, of course, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got any redeeming features or otherwise for Thank God It's Friday, or if you want to have your say about Josie and the Pussycats, were we too generous? Were we not generous enough? We definitely want to hear from you. And it's super-duper easy to get in touch with us. You can find the Rufus Project on Twitter or Facebook nice and easily. You can head to our homepage, rufusproject.com and leave a comment below this very episode or you can send us an email to podcast at rufusproject.com we would love to hear your thoughts and and definitely we would love to hear if you have any suggestions for movies that you think we should try to redeem Ooh, yes even though i said we've had some people send some in we still want to get as many ideas as possible because it helps us choosing a lot easier so we definitely welcome that because there's a lot of corkers out there that we probably have neither of us have heard of that are just waiting to be discovered absolutely now speaking of discovering things i think people out there should discover some of the wonderful wonderful events that you're putting on christian what can you tell us about those as I promptly grab for the diaries, because um, I've got so many things coming up. Um, so, um, coming up on the 22nd of July, we've got a 60s versus 70s party at New Farm Bowls Club. That We do continue these monthly with different themes. We've got an Elvis one in August. We've got a 70s and 80s one in September. Um, we mentioned Saturday Night Fever, 28th of July. We're doing um, the 40th anniversary. We're screening the director's cut. I was actually unsure. Oh, I didn't know there was a director's cut until a few months ago. So, the, the director has restored some scenes that were cut out just before the premiere. So, that's very exciting. And that's been digitally remastered on the big screen. Also got Tommy Wiseau's The Room, a movie that we should probably look at one of these days for the redeeming features, and the Brisbane Madonna Party on the 19th of August. So head to christianfletcher.com or Christian Fletcher Events on Facebook. Ah, there's heaps more than that, but that'll do for now. <laughs> All good. And uh, if you are looking for a slightly different podcast if you enjoyed the rufus project uh, i will i also do another podcast with my awesome wife Susie, who you may have heard a few times on this very podcast joining us uh, on a couple of occasions and we do what the history the what the history podcast is available at wthpod.rufusproject.com and it's a quick fun look at bizarre bits of history that will make you say what the history it's only about 20 minutes long it's perfect for a quick listen uh whenever you've got a bit of time so uh we'd love you to get on board with that and definitely check it out so from history to bad or good movies we've got you covered 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I probably... Yeah, I probably should also mention on the Rufus Project YouTube channel, uh, I've, I've recently revamped that, and that's now being a home for uh, gameplay videos of uh, classic arcade games, as well as live streaming of more more recent stuff as well. So I'll let you discover all that by yourself, but that's also a bit of fun, because... I don't like spare time. I, I think that's what my, my the moral of the story is here. I yeah, I seem to have something against spare time. But that's me, and hopefully you enjoy the uh, the the results of that. Definitely. And as we said earlier, if the movies are bad, the chat's always good. But in this case, everything was great. <laughs> that absolutely. I'm so happy that we've got another redeemable movie this year because i know we did not get off to a good start so it's good to get a few redeemable ones under our belt and uh we will be back in a couple of weeks time with uh with thank god it's friday and to see if we can redeem that one as well i have absolutely no idea about this so i'm excited i've got no preconceptions at all despite the fact that i quite like jeff goldblum uh, but beyond that, uh, we shall see what happens. <laughs> Definitely. Looking forward to it. So, uh, so yeah, until next time, uh, enjoy watching whatever you enjoy watching, and we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Thank God it's Friday. Everyone's favorite night when the calmest thing happening is on the dance floor. I'm back. I'm out with an old man. I'm not looking for action. What I want is a nice girl. Would you like to dance? Maybe it was fate. Maybe it was just Friday. But it was a night none of them will ever forget. Thank God it's Friday. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. Consult newspaper for showtimes. So that it's good. What's this movie? Do you think we should? Got bad I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Boy, oh boy. Christian and Trevor on the case, watching movies from all over the place. I'm the bee, said it's bad, but we want to know if it's fun to be had. Boy, oh boy. Redeeming features. <laughs> <laughs>